Thank you, Ron. All right. I'm Francis, and uh, I, I thought I'd start off with like questions. If you guys have some questions, some of you guys have no clue who I am or uh, anything about me. I know you. How's it going? Good, good. You bought me, you, you bought me shoes, right? That's right. He bought me shoes I, a couple of years ago. Anyways, uh, that's a good idea next time you guys see me. Um, no, I, I came to Hawaii like three years ago, and, uh, and I lost my thongs, my flip-flops, <laughs> uh, while I was surfing, and because uh, you shouldn't surf with those on. But um, no, I, I left it on shore and stuff. And then the next time I was at this conference, and he brought me, no, no, you came to, you came to Utah. He found me to bring me some flip-flops. That's pretty cool. That's dedication. So, um, but why do you care? Uh, any, any questions about anything, about ministry, whatever, before I get into a seminar, and then maybe I'll have some time afterwards, but I thought, anything you're just curious about before we start? Not really? How many of you guys are in college right now? Okay, so only like some of you. All right, cool, cool. So nothing? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Come on, there you go. Perfect. What's my connection with college students? Well, um, I travel and speak to college students uh, probably every other week or so. Um, I have a college, I'm the president of a college. Um, I am a, I'm a campus pastor at a different college <laughs> at Azusa Pacific University. Um, and uh, I went to college. <laughs> I like college. Uh, there you go. What else? Yes. I'm uh, in uh, this next year. I'm going to be like a part-time campus pastor at APU. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing chapels there for the last. Oh, are you? okay. Are you at APU now? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they just, it's just a recent thing. Uh, Terry Franson and I have been talking. And, yeah, yeah what do you, what's the other girl's name? Yeah, they're, they're actually on campus. I'm kind of doing it from a distance because I can't really be over there. So I kind of just agreed to come like at least once a month and, uh, you know, do a chapel and then hang out with leadership students. And yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's not exactly a campus pastor, but kind of a long-distance, older campus pastor guy. Yeah, totally. Cool. Any questions? Brushing your hair, touching your Why did I start a college? Um, I wanted to start a college for people that were going into missions or into the pastorate because I didn't really like the Bible colleges and the job they were doing in that area. A lot of guys that were teaching at the Bible colleges were professors and they weren't actual pastors. And so I felt like the practical side of it wasn't there. And also because of the debt that these future pastors were getting in. I spoke over at Pepperdine one time for chapel and during lunch, they had me do this luncheon with all the Bible students. So I asked one of the Bible students, is going to become a pastor? I go, how much debt are you gonna be in by the time you graduate college? He said, about 120000 And I said, and you're going to become a pastor? I go, how in the way? He goes, well, I can't right after. i got to pay that off first. I go, you know how long it takes to pay off $120,000? And in my mind, I really felt like that was one of Satan's traps. The number one reason why uh, people are not going into the mission field is because of college indebtedness. And so I thought, you know, what if we started a college? What if our church subsidized it all? And, uh, and students can actually graduate debt-free and go straight into the mission field um, or go straight into, the mission, straight into the ministry without asking for a huge salary, you know? And, uh, and what if they were taught by uh, professors who were actually pastors? And so they're not just getting head knowledge, but they're getting practical knowledge at the same time. And so we had this dream to start a college that way. And uh, so we started this college like two and a half years ago. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool. And we're like two years away from accreditation, but we're, we're on our way. Yeah, and it's totally fun. Yeah. 
It's called Eternity Bible College. It's, uh, it's right at, in Simi Valley, where, where my church is. So we use the church campus so that it's, so uh, it's cost-effective. And then also, the other thing I didn't like about Christian college was um, the kind of bubble that you can get into. And so we have them take their general education, the gen, gen ed courses, at the local junior college. So if they're taking their Bible courses, you know, with us, and then they're having to defend their faith on the secular campus and share their faith as well. And we also don't have dorms, but we uh, set you up with other students, and you get an apartment, so you have to be a light in the apartment building too. And so it's kind of keeping the Christian student in the world um, while they're getting their Bible education and graduating them debt-free and being taught by pastors rather than professors. So. Okay, are we there? Uh, we have about 200 students right now. About 130, I think, are for credit. Actually, we have probably 250 to 300 students. A lot of them are auditors, though. Half of them are just taking courses without credit. Where's Simi Valley? Simi Valley is about 45 minutes from APU, straight west. 118. APU is about 45 minutes east of Simi Valley. <laughs> no, I just told APU for him. Azusa, Azusa, California. It's, it's, it's like 45 minutes from Los Angeles. You're in Los Angeles? Southern California, Los Angeles. It's about 40 minutes out of LA. So is Simi Valley on the coast? Yes, a little bit. Yeah, 118. Yeah. You guys know where the 118 is? <laughs> 210 straight west turns into 118. Keep going west. Yeah. Yeah. It's about a half hour from Ventura. You guys heard of Ventura? Good. Getting geography. You know Ventura? Good. Oh, yeah? Nice, huh? And you live here now? That's nicer. Okay. <laughs> Warm water. Yeah, what else? What else? Yeah. Um, you, you know, I have, uh, I have like three full-time jobs, <laughs> and, um, you, you know, uh, and I was really struggling with this, because I, I travel a lot, and then I've got my church, and then I've got my college that I teach at, and the president of, and then, uh, this, this campus thing is, it's, it's kind of like the pseudo-campus pastor role, where... They have campus pastors that actually live there, and they wanted an older person that uh, was an actual pastor of a church to kind of, uh, and I've kind of built a relationship with the students at Azusa Pacific over the last five, seven years of doing chapels, um, and so it's, it's kind of awkward, but, but here's the thing, you know, because I do probably too many things, but I, I had a friend um, who's a real successful businessman, and I, w I was really struggling with my life, like, man, what am I supposed to do? It's like I, I got my hand in all these different things. And, uh, and he, he said there's this 20-80 principle. He goes, and it's, and it's basically this. He goes, whatever task you're trying to achieve, you'll probably accomplish 80% of it in the first 20% of the time you put into it. Does that make sense? And then the next 80% of the time you put into it will be fine-tuning that last 20%. In other words, he goes, Francis, as a pastor, yeah, you could spend 40 hours, 50 hours at your church. But he goes, I bet you, you could spend 10 hours at your church and accomplish about 80% of what you would accomplish. And most people wouldn't even know the difference. And so I said, wow, so then I could have like four or five jobs and put 20% into each of them and really be accomplishing about 80% of what I do at each of them if I did them full time. Does that make sense? And so I thought, I'm going to try that. You know, and so right now it's working. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, so just, you know, I, I just want to change the paradigm of we should all have five jobs. <laughs> and just don't give it your all. <laughs> give 20%. <laughs> What, what else? What else? Anything else? I'll, I'll jump into my, uh, my talk for a little bit, and then, uh, then afterwards we'll just have some more questions because maybe this will spark some interest. You know, my, my topic is how to enjoy following Christ during the college years. 
And the reason why I picked this is because if there were five years of my life, I'm, I'm turning 40 this year, I'm 39, uh, I've been married 13 years, I've got four kids, um, I've got one of them with me, my second daughter, Mercy. You want to say anything? No? Okay. And uh, so if I could erase five years of my life, you know, because you look back and you have regrets, and there's just those years you hated and you wish you could do over again. If I could get rid of five years of my life, it would have been from 18 to 23. Um, that was just a terrible time in my life. It was the worst time in my life. I was just telling someone recently, gosh, if I could just erase everything I did those five years, um, there was so much hypocrisy in my life, so much sin in my life. There wasn't joy in my relationship with God. Um, it, it's, I, I had fun. I had a lot of fun in college, but... It was, it was fun in spite of my relationship with God. It wasn't because of my relationship with God. I mean, so many mornings, you know, you just wake up and you just feel guilt. And uh, over your own sin, your own hypocrisy, all of my prayers seemed to be focused on my sin and how sorry I felt for it. And it's like, God, I'm sorry again. I'm sorry again. I'm sorry again. I'm sorry again. To the point where it was like, God, I don't even want to talk to you anymore because you probably don't even believe that I'm sorry. Um, that was college to me. I, I didn't have much of a joy in my relationship with God. And, uh, and, and maybe that's part of what motivated me to start a college. It's like, you know, there's so many things that I want to warn college students about and, and traps that you can fall into, especially in a Christian college. But, um, you know, there, there were so many passages in the Bible that I didn't get, and, and maybe you guys don't. Um, like Psalm 119, I, I look at Psalm 119, and, and the verses that, that had to do with God's commands, I just didn't understand. Um, verse 14, he says, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. My soul, verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Think about this. This guy says, my soul is like longing for your commands all the time. Is that the way you feel? You just want to hear more and more commands from God? See, I, I didn't get that. Um, verse 32, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Verse 40, how I long for your precepts. Verse 47, I delight in your commands because I love them. Um, Verse 62, at midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. You guys ever do that? Wake up at midnight, thank you for all these laws. You know? I mean, see, that's, that's the whole thing. I'm reading these things. Uh, verse 72, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Um, verse 96, to all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Um, here's the one that's, that's crazy. Verse 131 of Psalm 119. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Okay, see, I would read these, and I'm like, what in the world is he talking about? <sighs> Give me more. Give me more commands. Because to me, here's the thing. To me, Ever since I became a Christian, which I think I got it in high school, um, the commands were like the downside to Christianity. That's the way I looked at it. I thank God that I was saved. I'm sorry, it's hard to preach with flowers. Um, it, uh, it, 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 uh, it, it to me was like the bummer. Um, I was so excited to, to know that I was saved. I was so excited to know that I was a Christian, to know that if I died that day, I would go to heaven. But then there were these commands, and, and I didn't look at the commands like the psalmist did. I looked at it as the downside of Christianity. I, I, I think about all the things that I, I used to do, and then when I got serious about God, it's like, okay, so I can't... I mean, high school, I loved to cheat um, on tests. You know, I, I just... I didn't have to. I mean, I mean, I'm Chinese, but you, you know. So, but uh, 
but I, I just enjoyed it, you know. I just thought, ah, oh, this is really fun. I don't even have to study, you know, and I, I just cheat, cheat, cheat. And then uh, becoming a believer, it's like, oh, I can't do that. You know, it's like the downer or, or lying. Oh, I love to lie. Isn't lying the best? Or you can just do anything. Oh, I didn't do it. You, you know, you just just straight face and everything else. And so to me, there were so many things that I used to enjoy growing up. I loved flipping people off. You know, I loved, you know, I loved getting into, I, I loved, I, I never really got in a fight, but I, I loved just the feeling of just getting in someone's face and just threatening and, and even though inside I was scared to death, like, he could probably beat me up. But, you know, just, just, I don't know, there were just so many dumb things such as that. And then it gets more serious, like into the pornography, you know. And, and, and so, so you start reading this book, and you like the fitting in, and you want to become a Christian, but then there's these commands. It's like, ah, oh, no more swearing. I, I enjoy swearing. No more Cheating, I like cheating. No more pornography, I like naked girls. You know, and you're going down, and you're going, oh, so no to this, no to this, no to this, no to this. And so for me, college was that time where I'm struggling with these things, and I'm going, man, I just, I just don't get it. I'm just fighting, fighting, fighting my sin every day. I'm getting defeated. Um, I just really didn't have a whole lot of joy in my relationship with God. I was bummed out about his rules, but I was going to obey these rules to show God that I loved him. And to me, that was Christianity, was just do all the things you hate um, to show how serious you are about your relationship with God. And I know there's still a part of that that's true, but it's so much more than that. You know, I mean, now at my age, I can look back and go, gosh, you know, I do love his laws. I do thank God for the commands. And as you, as the older you get, the more you realize, wow, these commands really are for my good. And every time you disobey them, you realize that really didn't make me any happier. And so I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm still not panting for them. But, you know, I, I look at God's law and I go, wow, this is so good. Thank you for this. Thank you for this book. But I didn't have that attitude in, in college. And um, one of the, uh, my, my favorite author on the earth is, is John Piper. And, uh, and I remember when I first started reading some of his works and his big uh, mantra or whatever you want to call it is, God is most satisfied. No, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I, I love that statement because that was so far from me. I wasn't really satisfied with God. Um, and, and, and in understanding that, he was saying, you know, so then you're not really bringing glory to God. And he began to defend that biblically. And uh, the whole idea is I don't bring glory to God when I'm bummed out by his rules. I don't really bring glory to God. I, I don't really make Christianity attractive to people when every morning I'm bummed out, filled with guilt, going, oh man, I blew it again. And to me, that was the extent of my Christian life. I don't think people looked at me and go, ooh, I want to be like him. You know, I don't think that's a light to the world where an unbeliever sees us in that state, and yet that's what I was in. Um, and I'm understanding now, uh, years later, that really... God calls us to live with joy, and it's that joy that we have and that relationship with him that actually makes us attractive to the world, that makes us a light to the world. It's, it's pretty similar to uh, what he did with Israel. He says, Israel, I want to make you such a blessed nation. I, I just want to care for you and everything else and make you guys just prosper so that everyone looks at Israel and goes, oh, I, I, I want to I be part of Israel. I want Israel's God. And in the same way, we should be living lives where we have so much pleasure, so much satisfaction in Jesus that people go, oh man, I, I want what he has. I want what she has. That's how we bring glory to people. It's, it's like uh, last year, my, my oldest daughter was in fifth grade, and I walked her to class one time. And uh, I, I walked her to class pretty regularly, but... Uh, in fifth grade, I was like, hey, baby, is this weird for you? Like, you're in fifth grade now, daddy's walking into the classroom, you know, because I just want to hang out with you. She goes, dad, are you kidding me? 
like all my friends like ask like, wow, is your dad always like that? I wish I had your dad. I'm like, really? That's cool. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember she brought home an F one time, you know, on a test, which there's no excuse for that. My, you don't get Fs. And uh, she brought home an F just because she just is always screwing around. And, um, and, um, and she was terrified, terrified. She didn't want to tell me. You know, she told her friends at school, my dad's going to kill me, you know, because I'm pretty strict on certain things. And uh, she comes home with this F, and uh, she goes, Dad, what are you going to do to me? <laughs> and I go, I go, baby, I'm going to take you out to dinner. I'm going to go to a movie and go get some dessert. It's like, really? I go, yeah. I go, I want to show you grace. I want to show you, you know, this is, this is not just mercy. Mercy means I should punish you. But grace means that I'm going to give you something on top of what you don't deserve, you know. And, and I, I said, it's, it's like Daddy. Daddy's done a lot of terrible things in his life. And yet God not only forgives me of that, but then he blesses me with you and your, your sisters and your brother and, you know, and this family and everything else. He's so blessed my life, and I want you to get this picture of it. You know, that's what Jesus did for you, is not only did he not punish you, but he, he died on that cross for you, and he's blessed you with so much. And so that's what dad's going to do. Just this one time, though. Okay. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, so the next day at school, all her friends are like, what'd your dad do? What'd your dad do? And he goes, oh, he took me to the movies and dinner and ice cream. And, you know, so all her friends are like, man, I want your dad. I want your dad. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, you just feel like, oh, that's right. I'm the greatest dad on earth, you know. And, you see, that brings me glory. When, when, when my little girl has her friends going, I wish he was my dad. You see, is that the relationship with God that you're conveying to where your friends on campus are going, man, I want your dad. Man, I want your God. You, you see, I, I had no understanding of that about God's desire to be this wonderful, wonderful father who takes care of all my needs and may, gives me so much pleasure. That, uh, that other people would actually be attracted to that. And so I really believe that that's, our, that's our, really our biggest job on the campus. I mean, absolutely, we preach the gospel, we stay pure, so you, because the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. You pray for your friends and everything else, but ultimately, are you a joyful person? Do people see that because you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, your life's just different? And there's something so attractive about you. You see, that's when God is glorified, when we are so satisfied, like, oh, man, he is so good to me. See, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, which is a, a passage which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. When's the last time, think about this, When's the last time you really rejoiced in the Lord? See, because the Bible says to do it always. Always. See, and when I used to, you know, we all sung that song, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, or maybe you didn't sing it. Did you guys sing it? Oh, I'm really old. Okay. Okay, some of you guys sang Okay. And... And it's just kind of the happy song. Yeah, rejoice in the Lord always. Woo! And, uh, and because of that, I, I never took that as a serious command. Because it sounds too happy to be a command, right? A command is thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, don't bear false witness, thou shalt not cover. Those are commands. But I never thought of rejoice in the Lord always. That's a command. That's, that's in the imperative. He's telling you, I'm commanding you to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice because of this relationship you have in Jesus Christ. Be so pumped about it and do it always. And, and not only, I mean, think about it. Is there any other command in Scripture that's written like this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Then he says, and I'll say it again, rejoice. 
Is there any other command that's written that way? He doesn't say, do not murder. I'll say it again. No murder. I mean, you see, I mean, in Scripture, here's the one place where he says, I am telling you, I'm commanding you to do something. Always. And if you didn't catch it, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. And I never took that seriously because I, I thought that, that does, that's no command. That's some good advice. That'll make me feel better or whatever, but I didn't take it as a command from Almighty God, and yet he says, that's what I want you to do, and I want you to do it always. And, and here's the thing. The other part of it was I, I felt like some people do this naturally. Like there, you know people that just seem like they're naturally happy? Whether they're Christians or not, they're just, the, the, you know, they're just known on campus as the happy girl or the happy guy, just always smiling. And that was never me. That was never me. I, I'm naturally like a, a very introspective, kind of bummed out guy. I, you know, ever since I was a kid, I, I still remember, I still remember, you know how you have those weird childhood memories? I remember as a kid, every time I, I, I'd see my aunt, and I, and I remember she, she would look at me, Aunt Mary, and she'd always go, why are you never happy? <laughs> and I go, I don't know, problems, problems. You know, I, I'm just, I, I don't know. That's what I remember as a kid. I remember, I remember my dad. My dad died when I was 12. But I remember one time there was a, this, this fish he was cooking. You know, in Chinese, we put the whole fish, you know, on the table. And, uh, and the thing, you know, just looks so sad, this fish. I go, wow, that fish looks pretty sad. And my dad goes, that how you always rook. <laughs> like, these things are, like, ingrained in my head. That how you always rook, you know, and 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 I, you know, that was me. It was just man, I, I just, I naturally, my mind. I don't know if yours goes, my mind naturally gravitates toward problems, and so in my mind, I'm always trying to solve something, fix something. You know, one of my four jobs. You know, it's like I'm thinking about one of the problems or something like that, and I naturally gravitate toward that. And so I would look at a passage like this and I go, man, that's not really for me. I'm not the rejoicing type. Um, I'm the problem solver. You know, ever since I was a kid, I, I'm just not one of these cheerful, joyful people. And then I've got this command that tells me to rejoice in the Lord. Always. Like, like, like my natural tendency, even coming in here to speak, is to stress out. And to think, what am I going to say? What am I going to talk about? You know, and I'm already thinking about tomorrow night in the plenary session and going, man, there's going to be junior hires in there, you know, in high school. And, and you know, and, and, and then I'm thinking about, you know, the next, I'm already worried about all this stuff. And, and my mind naturally gravitates. And the, and the Bible says, no, I want you to rejoice. Like rejoice. Even this afternoon, I'm looking at the passage and I'm going, oh, man, when's the last time I rejoiced in the Lord? The thought that, man, any moment, I'm going to be in heaven. Like, everything that I've ever done is completely wiped away because of the cross. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. God didn't have to be such a merciful, graceful God. He could have just punished me for everything I did wrong and, and to just dwell and to meditate and go, no. So, so you're telling me right now, right? I mean, any moment I could fall over and die. Man, and I've, I've had friends, you know, while they're speaking, they died on stage. I'm thinking, wow, that's cool. I mean, <laughs> what a way to go, right? You know, it's like that is, that's how I want to go. I mean, a, a friend of mine that was, died baptizing someone, got electrocuted while baptizing. <laughs> I why are you guys laughing? That sucks. Okay, why are you guys? Wow, you guys are weird. And then another, you know, another friend of mine. He, you know, just right. He was preaching. It, it was a prayer meeting and just collapsed an aneurysm. These are pastors of big churches. Another friend of mine that was preaching at a funeral, giving a eulogy at a funeral. That was crazy. 
that was crazy because this is what he said. He wasn't even a pastor. He was just, just a guy. And uh, just a guy, not one of these pastors. Um, but he, uh, he's at this funeral, and he looks at the people. Th- these were his exact words. He goes, listen to me. You never know when God's going to take your life. And he says, at that second, there's nothing you can do about it. Are you ready? Sits down, falls over. Is that the most intense now I'm off on a tangent of people dying, but, you know, back to rejoicing. See, I always gravitate toward negative. Oh, this other guy died? <laughs> no, but, but the whole point is, is, oh, well, let me just finish that story, though. Okay, that guy is Stan. Okay, his name was Stan Gerlach, and he died, and I've shared this so many times. that I, 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 But anyways, he dies at this funeral, and so I get the phone call, and I head over to Stan's house. Uh, not that he's going to be there, but uh, his, I knew his family was coming back. Here I am making fun of him. Yeah, he died. Yeah, another guy baptized. But, but um, I get to the house, and his wife just gets there, and she's bawling, hugging me. And then his son, you know, John, big guy, you know, comes out of the car just bawling, going, man, did you hear? Did you hear the story about my dad? I go, yeah. And he got this big smile. He goes, man, my dad died preaching the gospel. It's like that's what he loved doing the most, was just telling his friends about Jesus, and he died. And, and I, I remember going into the house, and everyone's staring at me, you know, and, and Susie, his wife's like, Francis, can you say something to us? I mean, we just, I just lost my husband. They just lost their dad, their granddad, their neighbor, their friends. And his house is packed, and I, and I, I, I turn to Matthew 10, where he says, uh, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. And I said, can you imagine what a rush that must have been? I mean, Jesus says he'll confess us if we confess him. And so one moment, Stan was on earth going, you guys, this is who Jesus Christ is. And then one second later, he's in heaven. And Jesus is going, Father, this is who Stan Gerlach is rush. Can you imagine that? I mean, seriously, as I'm talking, I mean, can you imagine if right now, as I'm telling you about the joy of the Lord and rejoicing in Jesus, if I were to collapse, and then one second later, I would have Jesus talking about me before the Father, and saying, Father, let him in. This is Francis. He was just preaching about us. He's just speaking about you. And, and, and for him to say, come on, well done. Inherit the riches of the kingdom that were prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. That's the truth about what Jesus did on the cross for me is that at any moment I leave here and I'm in paradise. All pain is gone. And the Bible says we need to think about that and we need to rejoice in the Lord always. That should be on the forefront of our minds. I love what uh, Jesus told his disciples um, in Luke um, 10. In Luke 10, okay, uh, let me me set this up. In Luke 10, Jesus uh, sends out the 72 and he tells them to go and... uh, to heal people, to preach the kingdom is here, and told them you're going to have all sorts of power and everything else. And uh, in, in Luke 10, after they went out, they kind of went on their mission, the 72 people, it says in verse 17 of chapter 10, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So these 72 followers of Jesus come running back. Man, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it, man. Even the demons would submit to us. We had power to do anything, and they're so excited. And it says they're filled with joy. And then Jesus, Jesus kind of eggs them on in verse 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So Jesus, I know when you guys were out there, it was like Satan just crashed from heaven. You know, it's just like when I saw him fall from heaven. He goes, man, it was just so powerful. He goes, I gave you power over snakes. 
The disciples are like, yeah, look. You know, it does, nothing affects us. He goes, nothing will harm you. And it says they're so filled with joy and they're just all fired up. But then Jesus says at the next breath, he says this, verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a very key phrase. He goes, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, he says, your joy should not be based upon ministry. Like when things are good, then you're happy, you're full of joy. When you've got a powerful ministry, things are going well. That shouldn't be what brings you joy. You should rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That should bring you your joy. And that's why in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. You see, if you're rejoicing that your friends are walking with God, that's a joy that's going to be up and down, up and down. You know that, right? He goes, but if your joy is in the fact that your name is written in heaven, your name is in that book of life, you're safe. That's a joy that won't go away. I mean, what if I told you tonight, what if I told you tonight, because most of you guys don't really know me, what if I told you tonight that, um, we'll just use this, that, that this isn't really a Bible. What if I told you God handed me the book of life and all the names of everyone who's going to heaven, they're in this book right here. What would be your first question? <laughs> yeah, check for my name. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm safe, but just check. And what would it feel like the moment I read your name out of the book of life? Imagine I read your name out of the book. Like... Uh, What's your name? Andrew? Andrew Gorospi. Gorospi. And I'm like, Gorospi, Andrew Gorospi. Yep, you're in there. I mean, can you imagine what you would feel if I read it out of there? You'd be pretty pumped. Could anything bum you out tonight after that? <laughs> Probably not. Could anything bum you out this week? Probably not. Why? Because you just heard your name read from the book of life. Now, the truth is, is if, if you really believe this book at all, and this book says that you've been saved by grace through faith, so you, you shouldn't need to read from the book of life. I mean, if you don't believe the word of God that you've been saved by grace through faith, then why would you believe the word of God that there is a book of life? You know what I mean? And so our trust should be is, man, I don't need him to read it. Francis Chan is in the book of life. That's intense. My name's written in heaven. He's telling these disciples, your name's written in heaven. You're safe. You're secure. You're saved. See, nothing should take that joy away. And he says, you need to rejoice in that regularly. Not just regularly, but always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. How have you been doing with that command? You rejoice so much that the people on your campus go, man, why is he so happy? Why is she so fired up? Especially if you're a person who isn't naturally joyful. Especially if you're a person that does typically get stressed out and bummed out on a regular basis. And that's usually what you're known for. And suddenly, you begin this process of enjoying God so much and rejoicing and just sitting and meditating right now and going, no way. So right now, my name is written in heaven, and my life's going to end at any second, and then boom, paradise forever. No more pain, no more tears. Just take a deep breath and go, wow, what can really go wrong? And to rejoice in that because of what Jesus did on the cross. He says, do that always. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The word gentleness is the word sweet reasonableness. It's the idea of when something difficult happens, you have this reasonable attitude toward it. Like you don't fly off the handle. You don't get depressed. You don't you know, want to kill yourself. You just go, big deal. 
I'm going to heaven. Big deal, my name's written in that book of life. There's this sweetness, this gentleness, that, that things that would normally tear another person apart or bum them out or put them on drugs or whatever else, you're going, it doesn't really matter. I know God. I am a friend of God. I'm a friend of the Creator. This is nuts. You know how... Um, you know how when you first get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you first fall in love, how nothing else can really bum you out? <laughs> you know, because you're so happy about something. I remember when I first met my wife, and uh, it's just one of those things where I thought, she will never go out with me, but I'm going to give it a shot. And I, I was never the type that would do that. I was always the, the wuss that would like ask her girlfriends, hey, Find out if she likes me, you know, before I ask her out. You know, because I just didn't like that risk. But I, I was getting older and uh, just thought I'd go for it. It's losing my hair. And, uh, and I just thought, man, I'm just going to go for it, man. I'm not getting any younger. And I just remember there's this girl, and I, I didn't even know her. She came to my church. She was a guest soloist at this church I was working at. And I hear this voice. I'm going, no way. I look down. You know, I was in the balcony. I'm looking down at this girl. I'm going, no way. And then I start finding out about her. She was like the Miss Teen California. She was like, no way. She's, this is out of control, you know. And I just thought, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to go for it. And I remember asking her out, you know, and uh, and uh, took a while for her to say yes, but she did. And uh, and I remember going out. Well, it's crazy. Okay, I'll just tell you a story. I, I go off on tangents. But here's the thing. Okay, I asked her out because I found out that she was going to be like at our church. Uh, had this big Christmas musical production, and so. Uh, they asked her to play the lead in it. I thought, no way. She's coming back to the church. She's going to be here for rehearsals and everything else. So I asked the associate pastor if I could be the stage manager. And I, t and I was honest. I was totally honest with him, too. I go, I don't really care about your little play. I, I want to I meet this Lisa girl, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and he's like, okay, that's cool. Just put a headset on and pretend you're doing something. And so... <laughs> And so during rehearsal, you know, she's at the drinking fountain, and she drops her script. I mean, it's like a movie, you know? And so I go, and I pick it up, and I hand it to her, and, and I go, hey, I, my name's Francis, and uh, I was wondering if after uh, rehearsal you want to go grab a coffee or something. And she goes, oh, I can't. It's my niece's birthday. I go to her birthday party. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. I go, I go how, about, how about Friday night? You know, I go, I go maybe Friday. And, and she goes, oh, man, I, I actually... I'm going on a blind date, you know, and uh, I go, oh, really? Okay, well, that's cool. You don't have a boyfriend. And um, <laughs> I didn't say that in my head. I'm thinking it, though. And um, so then I go, well, I go, you know, it's just sometime. I go, you know, honestly, I just want to get to know you. And I said, so maybe, you know, just sometime after rehearsal or something, we can, we can go get to know each other. And here's her exact words. She goes, actually, I'm busy for the rest of the year. <laughs> Can you believe that? Those were exact words. I'm busy for the rest of the year. And it was December 1st, so it's December. But still, you don't say that. I'm busy for the rest of the year. And I start walking away, going, what, what, what in the world was that? And, uh, and she goes, wait, wait, wait. She goes, actually, next Thursday I'm free. All right. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing to me? What is this all about? And I get her number. But anyways, we started, I remember that first date and that first phone call. And, and uh, that we went out that Thursday night and we just had the greatest time, right? Just had a great time, great dinner, hung out, you know, walked around this, this mall type place and uh, take her home. And, uh, and uh, we ended up going out the next night, too. We went out that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Miss, I'm busy the rest of the year. You know, <laughs> we, we went out like five, six nights in a row, and I'm just flying high like, no way, I can't believe she's still with me, you know? And, and at that point, it starts getting more serious, and it's just, you know when you're at that moment where it's like, okay, this is a real thing. This is a real relationship. Nothing else mattered. 
Nothing could get me down. I wrecked my car. I had just bought this convertible Mustang and crashed it into a pole. I didn't care. You know, I'm in love, man. The church I was at, the, the elders and the senior pastors started fighting, and the whole church split and was ready to disintegrate. I didn't care. I was in love. Man, seriously. It's like this church is falling apart and I could care less. I just wrecked my Mustang. Ah, Lisa. You know? <laughs> See, that is the picture of the forbearing spirit. You see, God says, I want you to rejoice in me so much to where he's like, I don't care. I'm in love with Jesus. I know the creator of the world. I know the, the king of kings. There's this God who, who sits on this throne up there, who determines everything that happens on the earth. There's this God that 1 Timothy 6 says he dwells in unapproachable light. Like right now, there's a being who determines whether or not you walk out of this room. Like he's in charge of everything. And he looks at me and he goes, there's my son that I love. Man, so at the end of my life, when I approach that throne, the Bible says there's lightning, there's thunder, there's fire. There, there's a hundred million angels all worshiping him. I can approach that throne and call him dad. That's nuts. I can go to the creator of the world and call him dad. Jesus says when you call him, when you pray to him, call him Abba. We should be so enamored, so joyful in that relationship that our forbearing spirit is known to all men, that they just know that we're in love. We're in love. We're in love with God, the creator. And that should be something that's so huge to us that it says that you have a forbearing spirit. So you wreck your car. You lose your job. You've got cancer. It's like, oh, well, I'm in love with the creator. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord's returning. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to get us any second, any moment. I just did a, I might be sharing this at, plenary session, but I just did my wife's grandmother's funeral on, on Sunday, and this lady, when you talk about being in love with Jesus, see, see, a lot of you guys, you serve God, you're serious about your walk with the Lord, you're trying to fight sin, everything else, but are you known for being in love with Jesus? You know? Lisa's mom, grandma, she, she was in love with Jesus. Like, she would think about Jesus all the time, talk about Jesus all the time. My wife would talk about how growing up she could hear her grandma in the other room every morning just weeping as she's talking to Jesus out loud, just crying. And she would, like, listen at the door, you know, just listening to her grandma, just telling Jesus how much she loved him. Her grandma would, 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 would tell her when she was a little kid, you know, she goes, see that little corner of the bed, honey? That's where I get on my knees and pray every morning. And all day long when I'm in my room and I, I look at the corner of the bed, I just get weepy because I tell Jesus, oh, I can't wait till tomorrow morning just to be alone with you again. You know, like, like that's, that's her mentality. I mean, at one time we were at this uh, family gathering where we went to this play and we're sitting in a theater we're sitting in a place, and I'm sitting next to Grandma, Grandma Clara. And, and during halftime, I look over at her, and I go, Hey, Grandma, what do, you, what do you think of the play? And she goes, Oh, honey, I don't want to be here. I'm like, me neither. But uh, <laughs> why? What's your reason? I go, there's, there's nothing foul. There was nothing dirty in, you know, in, the, in, the, in this play. You know, everything seems clean. And she, she looks at him, she goes, I just don't know if this is where I want to be when Christ returns. She goes, I, I think I'd rather be praying or helping someone, but not just sitting in a theater watching a show. I thought, 
Wow. This woman thinks every moment like, what do I want to be doing? Because Christ is going to return any moment. And what do I want to be found doing? She goes, I just, there's nothing wrong with this. I just don't want to be sitting in a theater watching a show when my Lord returns. I want him to see, man, I'm praying to him. I'm serving someone. I'm helping someone. She goes, I'd rather be praying for you or for your church or something, but not watching a show. And I thought, no way. I never met anyone that took that passage seriously. You know? We've heard it all our lives, but have you ever met someone that literally thinks, what if Christ returns right now? What do I want to be doing? I mean, this is good, you know, but do you think throughout the day, is this what I want to be doing when Christ returns? She did. And when you meet someone like that, you can't help, but it changes you, right? You know, for me, it's like, I didn't watch the second half of the play. I couldn't. Not after she had said that. I just sat there, just tuned out whatever was going on, and I was just praying. Going, Lord, you're right. She's right. I should be thinking about you all the time. This is so much better. I missed the whole second half of the play. So I kept thinking, maybe she knows something. You know, maybe, you know, what, 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 what if he returns? See, that's what that passage is talking about. He goes, let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men, because the Lord is near. I believe he's saying that in an, in an eschatological sense and that Christ could return any moment and there should be this joy. Is, okay, is, is anyone in here engaged to be married? Anyone? No? No one. All right, you guys need to get to know each other. Um, okay, but, but you know, it's, it's that whole idea of you know, I, I asked that in my church like, a couple weekends ago. I go, hey, anyone engaged? And, you know, in the engaged couple, Woo! you know, they just get so fired up. And I'd ask, how often do you think about your wedding day? She goes, every day, you know, multiple times a day. And he's like, eh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he had to be cool, but he goes, okay, yeah, every day. And, uh, and, and it's this whole idea of, yeah, when you get engaged, you know, and you're, you're just so in love with this person, you can't wait for that day. You think about it all the time. You see, that's, that's the return of Christ. You understand that? He says he's coming for his bride. How excited are you as a bride? I mean, if, if my bride wasn't excited about the wedding day, didn't think about it every day, I'd start feeling a little insecure. I, I would kind of question, you know, especially the bride. I mean, she's the one that's supposed to be all giddy, you know. And, and, and the whole idea is, this crisis, man, I'm coming back to take you as my bride. And how, how often do you think about that wedding day? How often do you think about that marriage of just, man, any moment, Christ, the one I'm in love with, the one I can't stand being apart from, he's so near, he's coming back. Rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Then he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Anything. That's a command, another command. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, lift your requests to God. Are you worried about anything right now? The Bible says you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should, you should you just lift it up in prayer. You, in fact, not you shouldn't. He says don't. Okay, could you imagine? Try to imagine this. Imagine tonight. Okay, we dismiss. We're going to dismiss in a couple minutes. Let's say tonight you walk out that door. Okay, you imagine yourself doing that? Okay. Okay, good. Okay, you're walking out that door, and the moment you walk out that door, imagine you never, never worried again through your whole life to the day you died. Okay, try to picture yourself never having any anxiety, never stressing about anything, never worrying again. Could you imagine? Would that be a pretty good life? Would that be a pretty good life if you made it all the way to the grave 
without worrying again. That'd be pretty cool, huh? See, most of you guys hear that, you go, yeah, that'd be great, but like I could pull that off. See, you already just look at it and go, that's impossible. See, we just look at God's command and go, come on, no one can do that. Rejoice always. Don't be anxious about anything, like never worry again. But you guys, do you understand this is commanded? Don't ever worry again. Go out here and don't worry about anything again. I mean, what do you have to worry about? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Die. Woo. Big deal. You die. You go to heaven. Everything's set. God's saying, I don't want you to ever worry about anything. He says, stop worrying ever about anything. See, sometimes we think, well, but I'm, I'm thinking about spiritual things, important things, like my, my friend coming to the Lord or this. He goes, no, no, I don't care. See, sometimes I, I would make excuses. Well, it's okay for me to worry because I'm a pastor. You know, and pastors worry about important things, so that's okay. No, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, lift these requests to God. Do you ever pray? Do you ever pray, you know, and you think about God on his throne, and you look at your problems from God's perspective? I mean, think about God in heaven looking down this little earth at your problems, and you suddenly go, okay, I guess it's not that big a deal. And you realize that God has peace, so you can have peace. And that's what it means, the peace of God. The peace that God has can be yours. But you ever do that? You ever pray, and then you worry about it after praying? You know, maybe you got it off your chest, and you felt good while you're praying, but then afterwards you worry again, right? I was thinking about this, and I do that. I've done that. I'll pray, and then I'll worry about it afterwards. How many of you, um, I know a lot of you guys are still younger, but how many of you have had jobs where you've had people work for you or under you in some capacity, even if it's like your busboy or your... Okay, so a few of you. And, um, or just, just, just maybe, maybe it's even friends. When you ask them to do a favor, okay, okay, here, here, okay, for, erase what I said, okay? We'll rewind the tape. Um, hey, how many of you guys, uh, um, oh, how am I going to say it? Okay, how many of you guys, like, you, you'll, 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 you ask people to do things for you? Okay, there you go. You've asked someone to do something for you. Okay, when you ask these people to do these things for you, and um, do you worry about it getting done? Yeah. Yeah? Like you ask your friend to do something for you, you worry about him actually doing it. And uh, maybe you give an employee something to do and you worry about them doing it. And you wonder, are they really going to do it? You call up, hey, did you do that yet? Because you worry, right? Okay, are there ever times you give someone an assignment or ask someone to do something and you don't worry and you just know it's going to get done? Yeah? When does that happen? When have you given someone an assignment and you didn't worry about it? Yeah, good track record. So you trusted her, right? Yeah. So what does that tell you about God when you ask him to do something and you worry about it afterwards? See, that, that, that reality killed me. See, because as a boss, I've got certain employees that I'll ask them to do something, and yeah, I worry. And then there's a, you know, maybe two, that I, I, I just know if I give it to them, it'll get done. And I don't worry. And that revealed so much about the way I viewed God in my prayer life. I realized, so I ask God for something, and I lift a request to God and say, God, okay, it's in your hands now. Just do it for your glory, whatever. And if I worry, that means I don't trust him. I don't think he's really going to get it done. I don't think he really heard me the first time. See, that killed me when I came to that realization. I thought, I don't trust God. I don't trust he really hears my prayers, and that he's really going to answer me. I don't, I don't believe he's trustworthy. 
And, and so that's why he says, man, when you give your request to God, you don't worry about it afterwards. I mean, you should have peace. Like, you know what? I don't have to worry about it because I just gave it to God. The God of the universe, my Father, the Creator. And He's going to listen. He's going to do it. And that's why, you know, after he says that, he says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Literally, let your mind dwell on these things that are praiseworthy. See, it was wrong for me to dwell on my problems. Even though I could rationalize and go, well, that's just the way God made me. I'm a problem solver. No, the Bible commands me. I'm supposed to dwell on things that are lovely, that are praiseworthy, that are true, that are excellent. You see, if we truly left this room and became people who no longer worried, who rejoiced in the Lord always, who dwelled on the praiseworthy things throughout the day. You're not thinking about all your issues, all your problems, but you're thinking about what a great God you have and the fact that your name is written in the book of life in heaven. See, that's where suddenly being a testimony on campus becomes a joy. And that's when suddenly you're a true light and God is glorified when everyone goes, man, I want to live the way you live. I want to have that joyful life where you're dwelling on what's right, what's true, where it just seems like you're so in love with your God that nothing shakes you, nothing rattles you. Is that your reputation on your campus right now? I hope so. If not, this is what we strive for. And because I'm telling you, you're going to have all sorts of grief from people who don't believe like you do. I mean, man, it's nuts where the world's gone since I was in college to where you guys are now, the things that people just accept and believe, and all that stuff can get you down if you focus on it. And you're not going to have joy, and you're not going to have the impact that you want to have. So I, I know it's a passage of Scripture you guys have studied before, looked at before, but hopefully I shed some new light on it. And hopefully, man, could you imagine if all the Christians on your campus lived out Philippians 4 and they rejoiced always and they were known for their forbearing spirit that when things were bummed out, there is some love and that they never worried and they gave everything to God and they just dwelt on the things that were praiseworthy. Can you imagine the movement of God that would take place on your campus if the Christians really lived that way? And it starts with you. It's just like the way grandma thought about Christ's return and how that changed me because once you see someone do it, then you have no excuse. And in the same way, if you will really live this out and be that type of light even to the other believers and they see you, you truly are joyful on campus, even during midterms, even during whatever, you know? Man, it, it, I really think that's what it's going to take to start a revolution is Christians that are truly in love with Jesus and so in love, so rejoicing, so awaiting his return that the junk that happens doesn't phase him and the ridicule and everything else, it doesn't phase you instead of being a person that's so impacted by circumstances. So that's pretty much all I wanted to share tonight. You guys got any questions on, uh, about anything? You guys look bummed out after this message on rejoicing. Like, <laughs> crud, i got to rejoice. I don't know. <laughs> Never been good at that. You know? <laughs> like, that's not the way God wants us to be, you know? I mean, just, just think about being the kid, you know, like my little girl just making her friends jealous because of her dad. Not this one, the other one. Um, but... Uh, it's funny, though, my other one, to be honest, now she's in sixth grade. I walked her to class like a month ago. She goes, okay, Dad, now it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> like, oh, man, you know, I got to sixth grade. It was pretty good. Um, but, uh, I mean, are you the, are you the kid that uh, everyone says, I, I want his God. I want her God. I want to pray for that. Will you join me in prayer? Um, 
As you bow your heads, think about who we're talking to. We're talking to God, and He's going to hear us. That is so intense. Father, I'm so stupid that I just don't rejoice in you enough. God, you've done everything for us. Everything, God. You took away your wrath. We should be, oh, we should be burning in hell right now, Father. Because of all the stuff, all the sin in our lives, and you sent your son to die for us, God. And, and yet we walk around bummed out, concerned about things of this earth, Father, that, that truth of the gospel should just lead us to be such joyful people. And so, God, forgive us because we just forget and we disobey your word and we don't rejoice in the cross enough. And so right now, we just tell you, Lord, it's just so good to think that at any moment your son's going to return and take us to heaven to be with you forever with no more pain, no more sadness, no condemnation for everything we've done. Lord, may we live like people who really believe that. May we be so satisfied in you that you've written our names in that book. God, I pray for every student in this room that they truly could walk out these doors and not worry, because God in heaven loves them. Help us to be so in love with you, God, so in love with you. Not just a bunch of people that are trying to obey a bunch of rules because they have to, but people that are just madly in love with you and love your teaching, love your commands, love everything about you, love being your kids, and maybe make this world jealous wanting our dad because you are the greatest. You're the best. And we love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks, you guys.